and welcome to the Huguenot Podcast, episode 41. It is just me again today. Um, Laura's actually very busy with a new job, so he's not going to be able to make it uh, for a while, which is perfectly understandable. Um, before we get into today's topic, I wanted to remind everybody that you can visit my website at huguenhoff.org. That's www.huginhof. Dot org, and there you can find some general information about my kindred and also true, and also the podcast. There's a podcast page, and you can subscribe to the RSS there and never miss an episode. Now, I am assuming that most people have found this through Northern Runes Radio, but if you haven't and you're not familiar with Northern Runes Radio, please check them out. You can find them at northernrunesradio.com, and they put out a lot of good podcasts. I'm a network partner of theirs. And actually a thing that you can do to um, keep your RSS feed clean is just subscribe to their RSS and you'll get my podcasts as well. Actually, that's what I suggest you do. And if you're not listening to them, again, the main broadcast is um, really good right now because they are doing a series on meditation and ritual and stuff like that. I think the most recent was Elements of Ritual, uh, and it was really good. Uh, I, I like what Dan had to say about that. So if you haven't checked that out, please do so, because Dan is doing a lot of good work. And uh, check out the other network partners that you can find at northernroomradio.com, because they're all doing a lot of good work. So, uh, one last thing, if you had any emails, and this can be questions, comments, or suggestions for shows, I'd always be curious to know what the listeners want to hear about. You can send those emails to hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com, and all of this can be found on my homepage, hugenhoff.org. So, what am I studying today? Uh, going over. Um, today, I, I had the page bookmarked, and I just dropped my book. This is, oh now I have to find it, sorry, The Lay of Valthunthr, The Lay of Bathrunthurner. I'm not good with pronunciation of these names, I apologize for that. Uh, usually I'm reading these, not saying them out loud. Now a lot of what I'm reading today is going to come from the Poetic Eddas by Hollander. It's my personal favorite translation of the Eddas. Um, there's a... It's very accurate. Sometimes it's a little difficult to read, but um, it really keeps to the poetic form, so I like that for that reason. Uh, there's a lot of good translations out there, though, um, and I may mention those as I come across them. In case you don't have the book and you don't want to spend the money on it, which I think is understandable, um, you can find this on Sacred Text as well. They've got the entire Poetic Eddas on there. I will try to remember to put a link in the show notes, but um, you can read it there for free. So that's kind of an advantage. All right, so what I'm going to do is sort of go over what happens in this um, in this story and then maybe get into a little bit more of the details, just kind of depending on how time goes. So, first of all, the basic overview, to put it in a couple words, Odin goes to meet um, the giant, Vafthrunthnir, and he challenges him to a battle of wits. He basically goes in there under a different name. I think it's important. Actually, in the end, you'll see it is important. He goes in under an assumed name, and... 
he goes to the hall and basically challenges the giant to a game of wits. And whoever wins gets to take the other one's head as a prize. So they've agreed on this beforehand. Whoever wins this game gets to take the other one's head. And basically it's a game where one will question the other one and get information and then the other one will go and question them. So they kind of go back and forth and it's a great place to get a lot of little pieces of lore because they're asking uh, questions about how the world is. So a lot of lore comes up. So Odin will ask some questions and Vathrunir will answer and then Vathrunir will ask some questions and Odin will answer. And it goes back and forth for a while until finally Odin asks, what is the secret that I, what is the secret that was whispered in Baldur's ear on the funeral pyre? And of course, no one knows that except for Odin and Baldur himself. So the giant doesn't know and presumably Odin um, kills him and claims his prize, you know, and he realizes that this was Odin all along. Now, that's why I said the name was important, because Odin many times takes on false names to accomplish some goal or the other. And in this particular instance, Vathrunthnir would probably not have accepted the challenge at all if he knew it was Odin, just because it is common knowledge, it seems, that Odin whispered something to Baldur. It's also common knowledge that only Baldur and Odin himself would know that. Um... So he kind of had to go in under an assumed name to do that. Now, uh, one of the things that I guess I do, because I don't know, I, I guess I like philosophy and ethics and stuff like that, and I want to make sure I'm living an ethical life, at least by my own standards. I mean, certainly not everyone would agree with everything I do. It's rare that ever be the case, but I should at least be able to live ethically by my own standards. And if I'm going to be also true, I think I have to say that the gods live ethically by my standards as well. Now, for clarification, I'm not saying that I make up ethics and the gods follow them. I'm saying that I have agreed upon a certain set of ethics, and I believe it's the same set of ethics that the gods have agreed upon way before I was around to agree to them. Uh, but still, if I'm going to honor these gods and ask them for advice and help and all this other stuff, I need to make sure they're good beings, you know? I don't want to be consorting with unethical entities. That, that would be a bad idea. I'd find someone who was ethical. So Odin kills the giant at the end of that. Is there an ethical dilemma in that? And the answer is no, because they came to an agreement beforehand. So that's something interesting about the whole autonomy thing. If you have the right to make your own decisions and agree on things, you can actually agree that you're willing to give up your life. You can agree that, okay, we're going to have this contest. Whoever wins is going to get killed by the other person. Uh, Okay, both both parties agree, yes, at the end, whoever gets killed, the person who did the killing is not unethical because they agreed to it in the first place. I do want to point out that um, the giant in this instance actually showed uh, a lot of honor by, presumably, in the 
in the poem it doesn't actually say and then Odin killed him but it's I suppose at least implied that he did but I mean the giant could have turned around and been like Whoa, not so fast and ran away but there is a certain ethical code that it seems even the giants are um, bound by and the reasons of that are interesting uh, in a lot of ways I don't think the giants respect autonomy very much but it seems like there are some certain basic oath-keeping things that even they do. Maybe it's just the nature of the world that they live in, where they necessarily have to be bound by O's. Um, but, I mean, I think that's something that I, I guess I wanted to, to mention. Okay. So another thing that this uh, hints at, if not outright uh, says, um, is the big one that I want to spend a lot of time on is how important knowledge was to our ancestors and notably here the gods. So Odin says that he's going to do this. And of course, uh, Frigg is a little... Frigga is a little resistant to the idea at first because she knows that it's putting Odin in peril. You know, she knows that her husband is risking his life doing this, which he absolutely is. I think if he had lost the Battle of Wets, it would have been his head that was claimed as prize. Unfortunately, he did not. But he's taking a big risk, and you sort of ask why. Is this a way to kill a giant? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, yeah, it is. I do think that's part of it. But, you know, he's not going out there and being like, oh, let's, let's, ha let's have a fight. Let's have a battle to the death or anything like that. Uh, sometimes I think with the quote-unquote Viking ideals that people have when they come to Ossetru, they're like, ooh, let's beat each other way. Let's beat each other up. That's the Ossetru way to come to a conclusion and that's just not the case I mean I suppose if you want to have a fight with someone and that makes something better I'm not going to say you're immoral for doing it as long as both parties are in agreement but I think this story shows that there are other ways to do it there are other ways to um, to to fight really because in this situation it's a battle of wits um, and we see that it's not just the gods that have that battle, but it's the giants as well. So I think our people admitted that a battle of wits was another way that we could work out our differences, and, and a pretty big way that we could work out our differences. This sort of also comes up when you see the the poets and the skalds and stuff like that and the sort of power they had. Uh, there's even some instances where Eagle and Eagle Saga will uh, basically win the day or get the favor of a king or whatever by making a good poem about him. Or, you know, maybe damage him by making a bad poem about him. That's that's another thing where you sort of see something besides just brute force being used. Uh, but this, this is really a, an important poem, I think, because it does really get into the fact that Odin is very concerned with knowledge. He he can see knowledge as an ends in itself 
which is maybe why he has the knowledge in the first place, but he can also see it and use it as a weapon. And I think that's really important to be able to realize that you can use knowledge as a weapon if if that's necessary. Um, and I mean, that is how he how he won. No matter how wise this giant was, he was not going to know that last thing, so that was sort of Odin's ace in the hole. And you also notice, he didn't just throw it out there right away. He didn't say, oh, and here's the question, ha ha, I win. He took some time, which shows uh, a lot of bravery on his part, because he was necessarily being subjected to questions himself. And also, I think he took the extra time by asking the giant questions to get even more knowledge about um, the world around him. So, you know, that's that's an interesting thing. Even in a fight, even when you have a goal, you can still take time to learn about the situation, make yourself a better person or whatever. Even though your main goal is X, you can spend Y, gathering information Y. So, I don't know. I think I think that's something that is important to remember. So, um, yeah, we just see that knowledge is really important. Um... I don't know if anything else needs to be said about that. If I think of something along the way, I will certainly mention it. I'm going to go through a couple of these stanzas, though, I figure, and sort of give an idea of what's going on. Um, Let's see, this is just the beginning. Okay, so Odin meets Vathrunir. Um, He challenges them. Let's see. Oh, his name is Gan Ganrath. Again, I struggle with these names. And let's see. The note is actually giving good counsel. That is for victory. So, blah, blah, blah. Uh, let's see. He challenges him. Okay. Since unseated thou... All right, so he, uh, Vathrunir starts questioning Odin under the name Ganthrath and says, Say then, Ganthrath, since unseated thou wilt match thy lore with mine, how the horse's height on high which draws every day at dawn to mankind. And Odin answers, He is Skinfaxi height which Skyward brings every day at dawn to mankind. Of horses best he, to heroes seem, his mane glistens like gold. So this is just one example of many pieces of lore that that you're going to be getting into here. Shiny mane, the sun horse. All right, now let's go to... Uh, that. That was the Hollander version, and that was... um. Let's see, stanza 11. So I'm going to go to the sacred text and read that. One of the advantages of the sacred text, other than being um, free, is sometimes it's easier to read and make sense of. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so sacred text says, What name has the steed that each morn anew the day for mankind does draw? And Skinfaxi is he, the steed who for men the glittering day doth draw doth draw. So the horse that draws forth each morning or, or um, draws the day for mankind is Skinfaxi. 
So, yeah, I mean, that's something that's interesting to read. Um, let's see. Oh, wait. I was going to actually read each of these and go through them one at a time, but I feel like that would actually be a little bit boring for for listener for the listeners because it's just me quoting random facts so i'm going to actually just suggest that everybody do that on their own through the uh, sacred text site or through um whatever copy of the havamaw that you might have so that's all i really want to get into the story now i don't want to get into all of the different details because i feel like that wouldn't really be conducive to a podcast so i suppose that's pretty much about what I wanted to talk about the story but I suppose there is something um it talks about the horse that comes every morning and brings the sun to the god and it talks about the name of the sun and the moon and some of the other mythological concepts that we have so I figure I'm going to talk about mythology for a bit there is sometimes a misunderstanding of the point of mythology I believe a lot of times you'll hear people say like um Thor is connected with thunder, for for example. And I, if I remember correctly, thunder is like when he's banging on his anvil. Mm, I could be wrong about that. Um, but Thor's connected to thunder, and um, there's there's different gods that are diff- connected to different things. Odin, for example, is connected uh, very much to the wind. Um, and different gods have different things. Frey, for example, will will help things grow. So a lot of times what people will say is, well, back in the day, our ancestors didn't know what thunder was. They're just like, oh, there's a big scary noise. What's that? I don't, I don't know what it is. And they didn't have the science to say, okay, well, this is what it is, and this is how clouds work, and this is how electricity works and and come up with an explanation like that so they're like oh it must be the gods it must be thor hitting his anvil or whatever it must be thor hitting hitting something with his with his hammer or it got really windy and they were like well why is it windy sometimes and not windy sometimes that's so weird and they didn't understand the physics of how the wind actually works and weather actually works so they're like it's because odin's coming right now and he brings the wind with him or they didn't know why plants grew rather than not grew and they didn't know why sometimes the crops were good and sometimes they were bad because they didn't understand all the effects that weather and soil and everything else had on crops they're like oh it's fray either he likes you or he doesn't like you and he magically makes everything work that's a lot of people's understanding of how mythology works. And I really don't think that's the proper understanding. I don't think that's what they were after. I think that the basic premise of that is people wanted to understand the world and the mythologies that we have were in a, t- or I should say it this way, the premise was people wanted to understand the physical world and the mythologies were an attempt to explain physical phenomena going on in the physical world that they didn't have other explanations for. Well, now, people did want to understand the physical world, 
quite confident. That's always been a feature of humanity. Um, but I don't think that people literally thought Wind was, you know, like commanded by Odin, and that's where Wind came from. I didn't. I don't think people literally thought Thunder was the literal sound of Thor's hammer hitting something or the other. And, and I don't. It's the same thing with crops. I don't think people literally thought. Frey just arbitrarily said these crops are going to grow and these crops are not going to grow. And this was like a way to explain why things worked. I think it's more likely that they were using certain certain physical phenomena to understand the gods better. Um, they might understand the power behind thunder because there is sort of a primal power behind thunder. It, it elicits a certain emotional response in people when they hear it. And um, a lot of times that's power. It's like that is a, a force to be reckoned with, that thunder. So because of that, it's a good way to explain the god. And wind has, wind has all sorts of different um, connotations with it as well, which makes sense with Odin. And of course, um, uh, crops growing and, and plants growing in general do have a lot to do with... Um, with Frey. So if we want to understand Frey, a good way to do that is to look at the world around us and look at the growing plants and understand the fertility of the world. And that will let us better understand Frey. Um, then conversely, I guess it goes a little bit both ways, because if we want to understand the overriding uh, premise, maybe? That's not the right word. The overriding um, philosophy of of um, fertility, we might look to Frey and then extrapolate that to the earth around us as well. So, I mean, I'm saying it kind of goes both ways. But I don't think anyone took the gods as a physical explanation for why exactly, for for why the world was the way it was. Um, I think it's almost just the opposite, where they took why the world was the way it was as a way to help understand um, the gods. So I think it's kind of important to keep that in mind, because today, if you look at mythology as a way to explain the physical world, we have to admit it's outdated. Um, earthquakes don't come from Loki struggling, hit, struggling in his bonds at the center of the earth. We know that. It's tectonic plate movement and blah, 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 and lots of good reasons. Not because Odin's struggling in the center of the earth. We know that's not the reason. So if we look at it as, oh, well, that's how the earth shook and it didn't make sense to them and it's scary, so they said it was Loki. If we look at it that way, our mythology becomes basically pointless because it's just outdated theories as to why the physical Earth is a certain way. I think we have to look at it as the people lived on the Earth. People have all, well, theoretically, people have always lived on Earth. This is where we spend all of our time and our ancestors were no different. They came across physical phenomena all the time. And if you look at it that way of, okay, we understand the basics of physical phenomena, 
So now let's try to explain something that's a lot harder to understand, like the gods. It's not easy to understand physical phenomena, but it, it's a little more tangible and makes a little bit more sense when you're talking about physical phenomena than it does when you're talking about something ultimately spiritual like the gods. So if you say, okay, I know what an earthquake is. Remember when we have earthquakes, there's a certain terror that goes with that, a certain destructive force that goes with that. Um, all these emotions get brought up. And I mean, we can go on and on and say that Loki is scary and he's a terrible god and he's bad and everything else. But it's just not the same. The same connotations aren't there. If we can capture the raw energy, or here, let me put it this way, if we want to explain Loki, for example, if we can capture the raw energy of a terrifying emotion in a single word, that will explain more than however many poems or sagas you want to you wanna write. And if we say earthquake, we know what goes along with that. And that will help you understand Loki better and his the situation that he's in. Or if you say thunder, that will help you understand Thor because there's so much with thunder. It's not just powerful. It also proceeds to rain. And the rain is what gives life to the earth. So there's power, but there's also light. There's also life that follows it. And there's a lot going into it. There's a lot going into thunder on sort of an emotional level on a very deep level so I think that's what was really going on is these connecting these physical phenomena to certain gods more than anything would understand would explain what the god was or what the feel what the primordial essence and feel of the god is obviously understanding thunder is not going to make you understand Thor in his entirety but understanding thunder will let you get sort of the one aspect of Thor. I suppose I'll put it that way. Thunder may give you one aspect of Thor where you can really understand on sort of a primordial level something something more about him that perhaps you wouldn't be able to understand without it. So So anyway, um, I think that's a much better way to understand mythology rather than being like, oh, people, they were trying to explain the world and they were just really bad at it. I think it's a lot better to say people were actually trying to explain the gods and they were pretty good at it. Um, yeah, that's. I just think that's a better way to sort of explain what mythology is really trying to get at. So... We've sort of talked about mythology, and we've talked about knowledge, and we've talked about how knowledge can, when appropriate, be used for a weapon. Um, so a lot of this is focusing on knowledge. And I suppose there's an interesting question that sort of comes up with this that uh, I think about a lot myself. I don't know if I've got a definite answer to this, but maybe I'll I'll try to at least put some thoughts to it. Now, Odin is very much a god of knowledge, as I think has been established, not just from this podcast, but from lots of different things. Um, that's something that he puts a lot of value on. And I've talked about autonomy 
before and how looking at the gods we can we can't say that oh well the gods do this so the, the gods follow autonomy so because of that we have to do the same thing we have to say well the gods do it so is it something that's an ethical prerogative or not uh anyway what about knowledge odin obviously puts a lot of emphasis on knowledge so is that something that we have to emulate is it unethical to not value knowledge and i think that's legitimately a really good question can you live an ethical life while being purposely ignorant now odin sacrifices a lot for knowledge um and i mean that really is his thing that is his his big thing questing for knowledge and understanding the world and stuff like that now i don't think we all have to do that and part of the reason is we can look at other gods and say okay well not every god not every goddess out there is questing for knowledge is their like main prerogative but i do think it's important to say that okay even though that's the case most of them are not just big dummies most of them are not willfully ignorant and living in denial about the truth of the way the world works um the only one you could argue does fall into that category would be loki because he seems to be so shocked that after he he causes some trouble that there's consequences for it uh, but obviously he's not one of the gods uh, he's, he's not a friend of the gods any longer at least so i don't think that really counts so is there some sort of ethical prerogative to be knowledgeable if that's wisdom or if that's information or whatever that is or or if that's self discovery and i think that's sort of the way i'm going to take it um a lot of people would say it's not okay to be willfully ignorant you know to willfully say that i don't want to know this i'm going to pretend this i or or more, it's more like well i know this is really the case but i'm going to purposely ignore it i'm going to purposely ignore other sides of arguments and i'm never going to think about things i can obviously see that there is a cycle of life death and rebirth but that's kind of scary and my own death sort of terrifies me so i'm going to pretend it's not a thing i'm going to pretend that nobody's going to die i'm going to pretend that death doesn't happen i'm going to pretend that there's a way to solve death as if it is a problem or i'm going to pretend there's a way to solve suffering and as long as i do these things we'll just get rid of it it's not a fact of life anymore it's just something that isn't um being willfully ignorant is that actually unethical and i think it's a very tricky question because last time i talked a lot about autonomy and what is autonomy and everything um being willfully ignorant doesn't actually break anybody else's autonomy you choose not to believe something but everybody goes on everybody else goes on living just fine it's not like you're hurting anyone other than yourself so you know there's always these 
these questions that we think it's important to ask ourselves like what is the meaning of life what's the meaning of life to me how do I live a better life how do I become a better person and I think you could make the argument that you would be perfectly moral to say that you don't have to improve yourself you don't have to be better you can just sort of stagnate and yeah do whatever you're not hurting anybody else you're not breaking anyone's autonomy so that is a perfectly fine way to live now I have to admit I'm not entirely comfortable with that with saying like yep just stagnate whatever it's cool I'm not comfortable saying that I mean I know it doesn't violate anybody's autonomy but it just doesn't really seem right to me that it would be ethically sound to just let yourself kind of stagnate and not go anywhere. Now, I will take this moment to say that I would never pass a law that says you have to improve yourself. So that's not where this is going. But I wonder if we shouldn't look at the... Um, look at Odin and this situation and wonder if we I wonder if we should take that as our model of you know he is always improving and he is always becoming better and, and I think the other gods um, there's a lot of stories about them and the stories always seem to involve them becoming greater sometimes making a sacrifice but but in a way that's making yourself greater you're you're putting value in something external sometimes but you're also strengthening something else internal so the gods don't just sit around and stagnate and do nothing they become better and they spend time making themselves better and I definitely think we should do the same the question is is it moral or not and I suppose you could make an argument that it was moral if we say that autonomy is the most important thing autonomy um, what is moral is what increases autonomy and what is immoral decreases autonomy um, autonomy being the ability to make your own decisions and and stuff like that because I wonder if you can truly be an autonomous individual if you let yourself stagnate um, so there's different levels of autonomy right uh, I I have a daughter she's what one and a half right around there she has a certain amount of autonomy um, at this stage I think is pretty undeniable she wants to do certain things and she doesn't want to do certain other things uh, she can make decisions completely on her own without any help from anybody else she's an autonomous individual in that to that extent that, that she can make decisions but on the other hand you wouldn't let her have a credit card I mean that wouldn't be okay you wouldn't let her vote you wouldn't let her drive a vehicle or get married at this age well why not because even though she does have some decision-making abilities she's not aware of the world enough to truly make informed decisions because another thing about autonomy is not just being able to make decisions it's being able to make informed decisions and when we talk about oaths that's what's wrong with the oath breaker you know two people go in and with a normal oath you say I'm gonna do this you're gonna do this you swear the oath and you both do it so you both made an informed decision whereas if you're making an oath with an oath breaker 
you say I'm going to do A, Oathbreaker says I'm going to be do B, you find that to be uh, a beneficial uh, situation and you swear the oath, but it turns out the other person doesn't do B, so you didn't make an informed decision. Your decision said B would happen. Reality said B did not happen. So the second person did something wrong because they sort of, um, they didn't let you make an informed decision. Uh, and that's bad. And that's kind of sort of what's going on with kids. They're able to make decisions, but they're not able to make informed decisions because uh, Saga might not understand that you can have a credit card, and now she's not actually buying things, but she might not understand that you can have a credit card, but you have to pay it back. The idea of debt is something that she doesn't grasp yet. Or, um, obviously, like, getting married. She doesn't understand that you're oathing yourself to this person for the rest of your life. She doesn't even under doesn't comprehend what the rest of your life really means. She doesn't understand the risks that go with driving cars. We don't understand that until we're a little bit older. And, um, you know, the age of consent thing is always tricky because obviously a two-year-old should not be able to make binding decisions like that, and a 30-year-old should. But, you know, where in between do you draw those lines where you say, okay, you're this age, so now you can get married, you can have a car, you can have a credit card. That That's a tricky thing to, to say because it's hard to say, well, now you understand what the, the phrase the rest of your life means. Or now you understand what debt is, now you understand what risk and reward is so you can make these decisions. Um, 18 is where we put it, and that's completely arbitrary, and I'm willing to admit that. I'm also willing to admit, well, we need some arbitrary number if we're going to have laws, and, and myself, if someone wanted to oath to my kindred, I'm currently doing 18, um, but I always have the ability to be like, well, actually, you're not ready. It has to, You have to be 18 and have basically an invitation from me to, to take the oath, so... I sort of have the veto there. Um, but yeah, it's it's really tricky to know where that age is, where it's like, okay, now you're truly capable of self-governance. You're truly capable of making your own decisions because you understand the consequences. So that's the difference between a kid and an adult. And I, I think most of us would say, well, it's not okay to let kids wear O's, obviously. They just don't understand things enough. Um, but eventually they'll become adults, so we can't just, you know, do whatever we want. We can't just take advantage of them and punch them in the face and make them servants or something, because eventually they'll be adults that do have the full human rights. I wonder if it's something similar um, with the always gaining knowledge because if we look at the kid example if there's a kid who literally refused to grow up they're just like i am going to stop developing my brain and let's just say this was possible it's not but let's say it was i'm just going to purposely think these certain things so my brain no longer develops and now i will never gain autonomy now i think there's an argument that that would be wrong because it is hindering autonomy. It is lessening the amount of autonomy 
in the world by not letting that child develop autonomy. Now, if it's an adult afflicting it, it would definitely be wrong. It's like, here, kid, take this drug that stops your brain from developing. That would definitely be wrong because it's absolutely hindering autonomy. So can we make the argument that we may not be willfully ignorant, we may not as individuals purposely stagnate ourselves because as we become more advanced and as we grow more and learn more we have more autonomy because we are more capable of making informed decisions. Today my informed decision might be buying a car, getting married, choosing my health insurance, having a credit card, th those kind of things might be in there. But in the future, as I become, hopefully, as I become more wise and, and gain more knowledge, I might be able to make decisions on things perhaps I'm not even thinking about at the moment. I may, there may be certain spiritual decisions that I become informed enough to make. I can choose to, you know, do this or that in a spiritual manner. More options are opened up to me. I can go to this place, whereas before I couldn't. You know, maybe I could try, but it wouldn't work out very well. But now I have more choices. Um, and in that sense, you sort of opened up autonomy, um, opened up a person's ability to to make true meaningful choices. Um, even even ethical issues, if you don't think about ethics, if you don't understand that there are multiple options out there, you might not be able to say, you might not be able to choose. You might not be able to choose one ethical, you might not be able to make an informed decision on one ethical theory other than the other. If you're like, well, I, I don't think about ethics, I just know that um, Kant is the way to go. He's right on everything. Um, Kant is a philosopher, in case anybody doesn't know. He, he is one of my favorites. Um, so you might say something like that. But you're like, oh, I, anything Kant says, I believe. That's not an informed decision because you really haven't seen the other sides. You haven't seen the other moral philosophies that are out there. And if you haven't really studied, you don't even understand Kant. Even though you've said, well, I agree with him you haven't made an informed decision so you're not exercise auto exercising autonomy in that situation you're just sort of blindly doing a thing so by remaining willfully ignorant by remaining willfully ignorant you're actually sacrificing a certain amount of autonomy because you uh, cut certain aspects of your life off so if you made that argument I'm not saying this is right or wrong but I'm saying you certainly could make the argument that for those reasons it, it is actually wrong to remain willfully ignorant and the only way to increase autonomy is to um, is to is to actually uh, continue to learn and continue to grow now I'm not saying you have to study ethics and if you don't study ethics you're immoral I'm saying that you have to grow in some way to open up your avenues. So, yeah, to finish up that point, what I was saying is it doesn't, it doesn't matter exactly what it is that you're doing, if you're going for knowledge, self-knowledge, um, pursuing a hobby, 
even whatever you're doing as you're learning more about the world around you and you're learning more about yourself you are able to make informed decisions now that once you were not able to make so on whole if you continually learn more and continue to develop as a person however you choose to do that you are increasing autonomy in the world because you only have autonomy when you're able to make informed decisions not just random decisions again a, a good example is the oath thing if I say if you do X I'll do Y with no intention of doing Y you are not really exercising your autonomy I have stopped you from doing that by putting up a false thing a thing that doesn't really exist if you don't know what you're agreeing to you're not exercising autonomy so anyway I think that's actually an interesting one for everybody out there to think about definitely if you had any ideas yourself maybe on that uh, let me know I am kinda getting near the end of this um, sagas actually not been having the best night in the world so this is the third time I've paused it to go help the wife kind of calm her down so hopefully these make sense together because there's a few times I got distracted and stopped the recording and started the recording so yes hopefully everything flows well enough together um, anyway I just want to restate the, the theory that I'm putting forward here if enhancing autonomy and creating more autonomy is what is ethical and that which detracts from or lessens autonomy is unethical then I think there is an argument to be made that since autonomy or, or self-governance is making informed decisions as you know more and you have more knowledge and you have a greater understanding of the world and most importantly yourself you can make more informed decisions or increase the amount of autonomy in your life it's very obvious we do not have autonomy in every aspect of our lives we do not control our blood pressure we do not control how warm our bodies are we do not control a lot of stuff about us but we do control a lot of other stuff about us and as we can control more and more and more of ourselves and our world that is evidence of an increase in autonomy so I think it can be argued that becoming stagnant and remaining willfully ignorant is actually something that um, decreases autonomy or at the very least does not increase the level of autonomy in the world whereas continuing to learn and continuing to better yourself in whatever way you choose does increase the amount of autonomy in the world so it is a moral thing that you should do I don't know just an idea anyway I guess I'll kinda of get into my final thoughts the the story that I read um, I cannot pronounce this 
um, name at all. The lay of Vauthrunir, which can be found in the poetic order, the poetic Eddas on sacred text, or the Hollander version. I read from a little bit both of those. That's a great play, a great story to read. What I really think everyone should do is go and read through that and pick up some of the mythological. Um, tidbits in there because there's a lot of really good ones again I wanted to read them on the air but I just felt like that'd be a little dull for people so I did not Um, but those are good things to know and the story really gets at how important knowledge is um, for us for our ancestors and for our God so I definitely think we should try to understand more and and gain knowledge as Odin did and one of the many good things that it does, in, like in this story, is it shows that uh, knowledge can be used as a weapon. That's not its primary purpose, but that is a thing that is important to remember, that it, it can be used um, as, as a weapon. And, and it is in this sense. That is why the giant was killed. Um, I think there's a lot of other good reasons to gain or quest for knowledge as well. Uh, let's see, going through our final thoughts, I also wanted to mention that the my understanding of mythology is not mythology was an attempt to explain the physical world. I think it's just the opposite. Mythology, or um, people use the physical world in an attempt to explain mythology. It is hard to explain the nature of Thor, but if you mention thunder, there's a certain primal understanding that you have which lets you understand Thor more so when people say oh it's primitive people trying to explain the physical world I think they have it completely backwards um and lastly I just talked about it so I won't go into great depth but maybe we should always be trying to better ourselves and maybe it is a moral truth something that we have to do to to be an ethical person is constantly improve and become a better person than who we were who we once were uh, anyway, if you had any questions, please feel free to write in. Um, if you had any show ideas or, or comments or whatever, and you can do that at HugenhoffPodcast at gmail.com. You can find that on the website, which is www.hugenhoff.org. And do remember to check out our um, Northern Roots Radio uh, and, and all the network partners on that side uh the the main broadcast is is really good recently doing the components of lore and and stuff like that so i definitely check out the main broadcast on northern runes radio and really when you're there you might as well check out all the other network partners and you can find them at northernrunesradio.com subscribe to the rss that's the best way to not miss a show anyway thank you all for listening and i'll talk to you next month for all hell